the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with this, that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of, you, of the two of, do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us. Wow. And on our children. And we've seen that over the years. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. They stripped him. They put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And a reed in his right hand, and they bowed a knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him, took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink it. Then they crucified him, divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They brought him to Golgotha. Golgoliath was what it was originally called. This is the hill where the Jewish historians say that when David took Goliath's head off, he came back to the city and set his head out on top of this hill, prophesying to the nation of Israel and to the whole world that there would be one coming to this same mountain that would destroy the real enemy, which is Satan. There's no eternal life anywhere except through Jesus Christ. Buddha's still in the grave. Mohammed's in the grave. Confucius is in the grave. And I could go on and on and on. Jesus is alive. Proven both in the text and by the Romans and the Jews. The Jews tried to buy people off because they knew it was true. 
That's the only way out of here. And what we celebrate this morning with communion is what Jesus done for us. You may be saying, I'm not worthy to take communion. What makes you worthy is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes you worthy. You're not worthy on your own. You're not good enough. But thanks be to God who sent his son to die in our place. We have eternal life. Amen. Lord, we lift this bread not because we've earned it and not because we deserve it. But we lift it as an emblem of hope that you laid your life down, Jesus, so that we could be free. That you paid the debt for all of our sin and our iniquity. That you were bruised for our transgressions and striped for our healing, mentally, spiritually, and physically. And so we eat this matzah with full awareness of what it means to be loved by you. For you to have taken our place. Not only ours, but you took Barabbas' place that day. The worst man in their culture. You took his place first. And we celebrate our forgiveness by eating this bread in Jesus' name. We lift this cup, the fruit of the vine that represents the blood you shed. The blood that washes away all of our sin. We're made right because of you. Not because of our performance. But because of what you've done. So we hold this cup high. And faith. That you poured out your own blood. You didn't spill it. It wasn't an accident. You poured it out. No man took your life. You laid it down. And we celebrate the greatest thing that's happened in any of our lives. That we've been forgiven of all of our sins. And we drink this cup in full awareness of that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, stay on your feet. It's time to praise and worship the Lord. Here's a... Hang on, I'm going to give you more to clap about right here. Some of you are ready though and I appreciate that. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Tell your neighbors, say, you can't be afraid. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. That's you and I because the Lord is in us. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Listen closely. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And we're getting ready to see that, I believe. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. What a word. What a word for us. Let's be really loud and clear. I want to make the devil mad this morning. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise this morning. Come on, let's give him praise.
him praise. Let's give him praise in this house. Lord, we praise you this morning. You're worthy. Hallelujah. You are the Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end, the first and the last that was and is and is to come. We praise you in this house. You are the Rose of Sharon. You are the Lily of the Valley. You are the bright morning star. You are the fairest of 10,000. We magnify you. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Turn around and tell your neighbor, welcome to church this morning. Children's church is dismissed. We have two nurseries next door as well. You may be seated, the rest of you. I want to I want to turn your attention real quickly to a couple of things that I've shared with you lately. We've been talking about the day we're living in. I want to take you real quickly back to Psalm 83 just for a brief moment here so you can hear what's in the newspaper. And this is the Psalm of Asaph who was also a prophet according to Chronicles. He's a sidekick of David, his worship guy. He said uh, in Psalm 83, he said, Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. And do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult. And those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people, consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, Come, let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. And there's a movement in the world a big part of that's in the Middle East. Sad to say there are people in this country who uh, feel the same way. But we're going to look at some things that will remind us of where we're at. We're not caught off guard. None of us should be caught off guard because of the day we're living in. We're close to the end of the age. I believe the countdown started in 1967, that uh, we are that terminal generation. We don't know the day nor the hour, but Paul said, and Jesus both said, we'll know the season. And Paul actually said, that day should not catch us off guard, right? So it bothers me to hear preachers get on TV and act like they don't know nothing about the end of time. Uh, shame on them because a third of their Bible is prophecy. They should know something about it. But let's go to, let's go to Zephaniah. I'm going to rehearse this. Uh, show you some things on the board here real quickly. Zephaniah, you don't have to turn there. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says, here's what it says to... This is a warning from God and then an op alternative. He says... Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation. Before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff. Before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you. Before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth who have upheld His justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. So there's a little language like Jesus used in Luke 21. And the word meek there, if you remember, anav is a Hebrew word. It means people who prefer to suffer wrong rather than do wrong. Now, where are those people at? I hope they're here. hope you're listening to people who said, I'd rather suffer wrong than to do wrong. That's, that's, that's the kind of people the Lord's talking about there. Those who are uh, upholding justice, seek righteousness. He said, it may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. And we'll talk some more about that next. Now, let's go to Psalm 14, 1. Look on the board. The fool has said in his, and you need to mark, there is out. 
Because there is, it's not in the original language in the Hebrew. It says, the fool has said in his heart, no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 how these people got that way. The Bible says they chose not to retain God in their knowledge. That's why when you read on through, Paul said if they're ignorant, this sounds cold and hard, but he said if they're ignorant, let them stay that way, Paul said in one of his passages. Why? Why? Because the root word of ignorant is what? Ignore. So that's where the world's at. They've chose to ignore. The fool has said in his heart, no God. Now, it's a bigger fool or a fool, not somebody who don't know about God, who's never heard of God, and, don't know, and there are a few people left like that in the world, although we know that Titus says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, so nobody's escaping this world without getting confronted with Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? God's faithful. He don't do any wrong. You can't be tempted with evil. Don't do evil. And, and the Holy Spirit said there in Titus that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. We don't know how God always does that, but we know He's faithful to His Word. Can you say amen? The big fool is the one who tells God no. Who knows who God is, but tells him no. Now I'm going to say something here that I, don't, I hope it don't hurt your feelings, but I hope it ministers to you and helps you get focus. If you're not doing God's will, you don't have any value. Not eternal value. You have no eternal value. You may get ducks out of a mud puddle. You may serve soup in a soup line. But if you're not doing the will of God, if you don't belong to God, if you're telling Him no, you don't have any eternal value. Think about it for a minute. All of us were designed by God. We were placed here at this moment. Your spirit could have been dispatched any time during history. God could have put your spirit in a family anywhere across the globe, anywhere at time and end. But he gave that body a spirit and a soul at this moment, at this time. Now think about that. God raised you and I up in this season, in this moment. He has some level of expectation for us, right? That we're going to stand with him. We're going to stand with his word. We're going to stand with his plan, which now includes very clearly that all believers got to be standing with Israel. There's no exceptions. There's no excuse for that. Any church that's not fully supporting Israel is not fully in the will of God. I'm going to say it be as, as, as clear as I can be with that. If they're not standing with Israel, they are at least partially out of the will of God. And, and so we find ourselves put here in this generation. You're in this generation. God could have had you born in any generation. Your parents only gave you, God gave them the power to give you a body. But God is the one that breathed the spirit of life into you. And he could have done that anywhere in time. But he chose to put you and I here at this moment, this time. And there's some level of expectation from God for all of us. God thought we would be the people that would stand with him. Or he gave us the opportunity to be those people who would stand with him, who would do his will, who would stand for the truth, who would be the meek people that Zephaniah talks about, who would rather suffer wrong than to do wrong. Can somebody say amen? amen. That's the people we're called to be. We're called to be to stand with God. So our priorities are going to start changing. All of us, you're, you're going to see the Holy Spirit challenging your priorities. Life's not going to continue as it is. The world is starting to shake and roll like we heard about from one of the prophecies we got. But also clearly through the scripture, the Bible tells us and forecasts this time. And so now we've got a group of people all around the world, many of them in our own country, who are 
anti-Israel. And when they're anti-Israel, they're anti-God. Because God brought them back into their homeland in 1948. He gave them control back over Jerusalem in 1967. And Jesus used that prophecy in Luke 21 to say that's what it hinges on. When these things happen, know that this generation will not pass till everything's finished. And here we stand. Here we stand. We can't be the people who get caught up in this life, get caught up in our own stuff, and be concerned about all the things. We've got to stay focused on God's will for our life and understand that if you're not in His will, you have no eternal value. You're just puttering along through this life. You may help a few folks, but our eternal value comes from being in His will and doing what He's asked us to do. Now, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Psalm 2. I'm going to show you a few things here in Psalm 2 that I think will get our attention. We have, you could, that's uh, in the history books or out of the history books. We have large swaths of people in the Middle East. And like I said, some here in this country uh, that are against Israel, against God's plan. And they would like to see them annihilated and totally wiped out. And it's all around the world. And there's some reasons for that that we'll get to in just a moment. But look at Psalm 2. He says, bless, uh, excuse me. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? It's vain to work against God. If you're anything, not just with this moment, but anything in your life, if God has called you to do a certain thing, or if, he's, if you know His will uh, scripturally is to do it this way, and that's the right way, and you and I do it the wrong way, that's vain. We're going to suffer for that. He says, why do people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves as rulers and take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Now, if you've heard news broadcasts, I get most of my news on the radio because I'm in my vehicle so much, but if you've heard this, I have noticed that even people who are Christian are starting to shy away from using the term Jesus. It's becoming a... It's a it's a, it's a troubled spot. It causes division. And, and, and Jesus told us it would, right? He said, I'm going to come. He said, I'm going to set two in this household against three, right? He said, the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, right? It didn't take much work for that to happen, but anyway. <laughs> I'm teasing. I shouldn't say it. But if whatever. He, 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 he told us that he was going to cause division, right? But Why? It's not, it wasn't his intention because it's not his will that any would perish. But the Lord knew that some people would say, we're following you. And other people would say, we're going to do our own thing. He knew that would happen. When the truth came, he knew it would divide. And that's where we're at. We've constantly been there uh, uh, through all the uh, generations. But now the conflict has become so real and so in our face, and biblical prophecy has come to life like it's never come to life before. And here we stand having to choose the side of Jesus Christ more clearly and more directly. I was listening to a woman. I could feel it in my spirit. She was talking about I have the power of prayer, but she never would use the word Jesus. And I, I could feel like she was struggling with that as she was sharing what she wanted to try and get out. We've got to stand our ground. The Bible tells us that we're going to face persecution. None of this stuff that's going on over there is, should be catching us off guard. What we've got to look to is we've got this war that's talked about there in Psalm 83, where it appears that Israel is going to destroy their enemy. And when you read scriptures about the end of time, Gaza is going to be destroyed. Half of it's gone already. 
I don't even know how they'll get in there and even make any sense out of it. And by the time this military operation is done, there's probably not going to be nothing in Gaza left that wouldn't take years and years. But the Bible said that it's going to be desolate. In fact, Gaza belongs to Israel. They, I'm going to say a few things to let you make sure you understand what's going on. Gaza belongs to Israel. The Philistines were in there harassing. God gave that to Israel. Somebody said, well, that's not right. Listen, everything in this earth belongs to God. Don't belong to any of us. If God wants to take Kentucky and give it to Russia, he can do it. And after last night, some of you are okay with that, right? So whatever, whatever God decides to See, I've told you this many times. The only way you own anything is horizontally. None of us own anything vertically. So God can take your wealth and transfer it to somebody else if you ain't doing his will. And he's done that many times throughout history. He does it with nations. He does it with individuals. Everything you have is only yours this way with other people. That's Craig's shirt. This is mine underneath this jacket. But when it comes to God, we don't own anything. Everything belongs to him. So if God desires to transfer the wealth of Iraq, to Israel, it's his prerogative. He can do that. He owns it all. So Gaza's going to be destroyed. Damascus is going to be destroyed. Amman's going to be destroyed. I don't know if any of y'all remember this, but the king of Jordan, he's passed on now, but the king of Jordan paved his driveway to the palace with Jewish tombstones. Do you know that? And guess what? He needed open heart surgery. And guess what? Israel even though he had done that, let him come into Israel and get his surgery. That's how kind they were to him. There are no soldiers in Gaza. There are no Israelites living in Gaza. They gave them that territory. And, and they've let people from over there come and work. That's part of the problem with the infiltration. Israel has tried to get along with as many people as they can over there and even love their enemies like the king of Jordan bring him in now. But I'm going to tell you something. Nobody, and, I, and, and probably second place is the American Indian, but nobody has been treated as severely as Israel. Nobody has been treated like them. And God's going to stand up for them, and that's what we're seeing the beginnings of. What's different, you say, about this war, Pastor? I'll tell you, if you're in tune with the Spirit, you can feel that it's not just a physical battle going on. It's demonic spirits. Do you understand, sad to say this to you and report this to you this morning if, if you don't already know it. Do you know that there are people in our Congress that we paid for their education, delivered them out of war and torn countries, and they worship false gods in this land? They worship, we, and they hate our country, and they hate Israel. I tell you, there's other places to live. Could I help you buy a plane ticket? If you don't love this country after we paid for your education and delivered you from somewhere and brought you out of harm's way, then you need to find somewhere else to live. Amen. Especially if you're raised up in, a, in our hierarchical system the way you are. Now, look what else he says. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. I, I went to the wrong psalm. I'm sorry. Against the Lord, against his anointing, break their bonds in pieces, cast away their cords from us. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. There are four times that it says the Bible that God laughs. This is one of those four times. We'll look at another one in just a minute. The Lord shall hold them in derision. In other words, this word derision means to scorn or mock. Basically, God is going to make fun of them because they think 
they can stop his plan. Do you remember when Elijah had the false prophets and they were all trying to call down fire from heaven? And they couldn't call down fire from heaven. And they started cutting themselves. That stuff's been going on a long time. There's nothing new with that. That's demonic. They started cutting themselves because they worship demons. And so all of a sudden, here he, they're out there on the plane. And, and, and Elijah says a few things to them. He says, in the Hebrew it says, maybe your God's asleep. He starts mocking them. He said, one of the says, suggests that he's gone on a vacation. And another one in the Hebrew seems to suggest he might be on the toilet. He starts mocking them. Now, let me show you how big God is. Because these false prophets, they deceive the people. And you better be careful because that's what's going on in the land today. And some of them are in the so-called Protestant church who are saying things like that all this stuff's already happened and that all this was meant. That we're not. So you got to be careful. You got to stay in the Word. But the Bible says he soaked the sacrifice, poured water in it before he called on God. The reason he done that is because God was not only going to testify to the people, most of the people were duped. They were duped, they were deceived, because these false prophets would have fire tunnels, and they would run fire up those tunnels and light the sacrifice, making the people think that some false god had lit that sacrifice. So when Elijah said, fill it full of water, all those false prophets knew that there wouldn't be no fire coming up those tunnels. So God was testifying. That's what God's getting ready to do with Israel. He's going to testify to the whole world that he's God. And that there's none. So when he called fire down from heaven, he, he, the, the, the sacrifice was consumed. And everybody knew that God was in control. Now, that's what's going to happen again. Because the world's going, when this is over, the world's going to realize that God is who he said he was. And that Jesus is the only way. And he's the son. But even after that, we read about in Revelations where the Bible says they'll shake their fist at God and curse him. We got people like that in this country. We have people like that in this country that are so twisted and so anti. I don't believe there's near as many atheists as they say. Paul said nature itself teaches there is God. He said that they chose not to retain God. They cast him off out of their thinking. So most people, are, there are very few atheists. But what we really deal with is people who don't want any authority in their life. And they want to do it their way and not God's way. We got to be on guard for that. He says, the Lord will hold them to derision. He'll mock them. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare, excuse me, I will declare the decree. And the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, look what's going to happen. And I will give you the nations. All the nations are going to come under Re come under God's jurisdiction and authority. The nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. It's all going to be rounded up and come under Jesus Christ. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, what I read in Zephaniah, he said you need to get ready and, 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 and count yourself that you may be hidden. The meek of the earth, those who prefer to do, uh, suffer wrong than do wrong. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. He's trying to give them some insight here, right? Be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. When's the last time you heard any world leader talk about Jesus Christ? Oh, they'll talk about God in a general sense. But he, he is the crux of the matter, right? Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. 
Kiss the Son, lest He be angry with you and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed, and this word blessed is similar to the one in the New Testament, Markarios. It is ashir, is the, is the Hebrew word. It means our way shows the end result the path has chosen. In other words, and then it means, which, and I thought this interesting definition. The path you've chosen, if you're blessed, shows the end result, which is rest and happy outcomes. And that's what we choose when we choose the Lord. We may have some battles here, but we know what's waiting on us on the other side. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry with you, and you perish when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in Him. The word trust here is hasa. It's one of those verbs again. It's the Hebrew equivalent of pisteo. Pisteo in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, hasa. And the other one is batak. Hasa means to take refuge or run to the shelter of the Lord. And so he said, read it that way. Blessed, good outcome, are all those who put or run for the shelter of the Lord. Let me read that again. What a wonderful outcome for those who run to the shelter of the Lord. That's what he's saying there. Your outcome is going to be happy and restful if you run to the shelter of the Lord. That's where we're at. We're in a time where we're going to have to stand for the Lord. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy in any culture because we're going to see. Let me take you, if you would, run over to Zechariah chapter 12. or We'll show this on the board. Zechariah 12 says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all surrounding peoples. When they lay siege against it, Judah and Jerusalem, it shall happen that in that, happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. Now, we got a divide in this country. I'm, still, I'm glad we're still standing with Israel, but at some point that's probably going to give way over time. Now, in Luke chapter 21, here's something else Jesus said, verse 17. <clears throat> he tells them, and I think this runs to us too, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And that's where we're at. Not only does these groups of false religions, Islam, not only do they hate Jews, but they hate Christians as well. And so if they could eradicate the Jews, which they cannot, God's not going to allow that to happen, then they would turn their attention to us next. We are the infidels. <clears throat> now, this word trust means to take refuge in the Lord. Let's go to Psalm 37. Same book, Psalm 37. In Psalm 37, he gives us some more insight into what we need to be doing as we live in the day we're living in. And we need to make sure that our priorities are right. You know, he says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass. Now, I want you to think about something. We, we are drive-through mentality in this country. We are used to getting a hamburger, french fry, and a milkshake in a minute and a half. And that has affected all of us. We're used to, instead of going home, we're used to, and I'm not saying everybody lives this way because we don't either, but we, we, that's the kind of culture we grew up in. Stick it in the microwave. Instead of waiting an hour for dinner, we'll have it done in a minute and a half. Right? We're used to that kind of culture. Now, you may not live that way, 
And my wife and I don't live that way. But you, you understand that's the mentality that's come into our culture. We have no idea. How many of you have heard of Crazy Horse? Crazy Horse is a monument out in South Dakota like uh, Mount Rushmore, except you can fit, when it's finished, you'll be able to fit six or seven Mount Rushmores into this Crazy Horse monument that they're doing to the Indian. This family's doing that. The government came in probably 30 years ago and tried to offer them money to just finish it, but they wanted it to be a generational thing. And so they don't take support from the government. They just do it themselves over time. And so it's, we don't have any idea of that. Most of us would have never built the ark. The older I get, the more fan I am of Noah. I love him. What a dude to hang in there that long and be mocked day after day telling everybody it's going to rain, judgment's coming, everybody just looking at him like he's crazy, writing in, in the local newspaper some nuts building a uh, boat big as, big as a football field. And they probably didn't know what football was, but anyway. Can you think about that? Him getting up after 22 years doing it, having a cup of coffee with his wife, saying, man, whoo, 22 years, still going. Then after about the fourth coffee pot they've went through, 62 years have went, he kept hanging in there. He kept hanging in there. He kept. Our problem is we don't have that kind of mentality anymore to just wait on the Lord and to be faithful even though we're waiting. That's where we're going to have to be. We're going to have to be there. That's the people God has called us to be. After the ninth coffee pot, and it's been 96 years, would you have kept building the boat? Can you imagine him telling his friends or the people in his community, yeah, when we get this done, all the animals are just going to come up and walk right in. I guarantee you some people was trying to have him committed. But he kept being faithful. How many cure eggs he went through, we don't even know. Getting up every morning, praying, talking to God, talking to his wife, thinking, Man, when this is coming, when this is coming, and all this, and just being faithful. That's who we need to be. We need to be those people because we know the outcome, the final outcome. And he says, they shall soon be cut down like grass and withers green herbs. So the wicked, they're not getting by with anything. God lets this thing play out in our lives, in the world, everywhere, just as he wants. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. That's where we've got to be. You better not put your trust and confidence in this world because it can be gone in a second. Things can change out there in a second. You better put yours in the faithfulness of God. Delight yourself also in the Lord and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Give yourself to God. Let Him be your priority, right? Make Him first in your life. Don't neglect God, right? He says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. There's a mouthful there. Put God first. Commit your way to Him. Trust in Him. Lean on His staff. Run to His shelter. And He shall bring it to pass. That's our God. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. And that's our biggest challenge, isn't it? That's our biggest challenge. Rest patiently. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews 11... That God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Alright? The word reward is an accounting term in the Greek. It means payer of wages. 
Now, that doesn't mean that God's just going to always give you money. Sometimes he gives you money out of a fish's mouth, uh, whatever the need is, right? How many knows somebody being saved in your family, born again, is far, worth far more than money? But the Bible says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That word diligently is mean, means those who do not ignore him. Those who don't put him off, right? In other words, you're not going to spend 24 hours a day constantly thinking about Jesus. You're going to have some sleep time and all that. But that word is better described by somebody who don't put God off, who don't ignore him. That's what God's trying to get across to us. That he wants to be a part of our lives. He wants to be the focus of our lives. And he will reward that. You were put here. I was put here to do God's will first. Everything else comes behind that. And he says, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. We're going to read that one together, all right? Let's read verse 8 together. You ready? Read it out loud. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Tell your neighbor, worry and only causes harm. Just go ahead and tell them. <laughs> to live is Christ, to die is gain. We can't lose. The game's been fixed for Christians. We can't lose. So we don't have anything to fear. If we live, we're going to live in Christ. If we die, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Paul said to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. For evildoers shall be cut off. He keeps saying this, don't he? But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Isaiah said, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. So many wonderful things for us to be blessed with if we honor God and put Him first. I don't apologize for bringing that up. Your life is not going to run as well if God is not first. I'm talking to me and let you listen. None of us, if God's not first in your life, your life's not going to run like it should run. God wants to be first. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. So the wicked's going under. They've lied to themselves. They've cast off the knowledge of God. They've turned against his plan and his people. But they're not going to get away with it. They're not going to escape it. I know all of us look out there and we see all the bad stuff going on. And some of us, myself included, we think, man, how much more of that can we stand? How much more of that can go on? God is long-suffering not willing that any would perish, but that all would come under repentance. So God is being merciful. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. In verse 11, the wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord, here it is again, one of the four times, the Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. Now if you read these battles, you're going to have Psalm 83 and these, these battles could run together. They could be all part of a larger thing. But as Psalm 83 begins to play out, then you've got Ezekiel 38 coming in on the heels of that with those nations outside the border nations that are actually involved now. They're funding those things. And so when they see what God does with those surrounding nations, they're going to start being reluctant to come down. That's why Ezekiel said in chapter 38, he said, God's going to put a hook in their jaw and make them come down. Because they've worked against his plan. They've worked against Israel. They've done horrific things against God and what he's had planned. And so God said, oh no, oh no, you're coming down. 
I'm bringing you down here. And when he gets done with Ezekiel 38, it'll take seven months to bury the dead. Because the world's not, nobody has escaped anything. Adolf Hitler's not escaped nothing. Nobody has escaped anything. There's going to be a day of reckoning. There's going to be a day of judgment. And nothing will be worse in the entire history of the world than hearing this. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Cast them into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That is the worst thing that any human will ever hear. When they stand before God and they've not followed God, they've not accepted Jesus Christ, and they've been on the wrong side, and God says, Depart from me, you who have worked lawlessness. Cast them into the lake of fire where the worm's not quenched, where there'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's the reality. There's only two places to end up. You're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. You're either going to stay on God's side and do His will or you're going to do your own thing, which basically falls in to the will of Satan. He goes on to say, he says, <clears throat> he says, the wicked have drawn their sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy to slay those who are of an upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart. Their bow shall be broken. Notice that. How many times do you remember reading in Scripture where the enemy actually got so confused that they turned on themselves God had them confused and they started killing themselves. It's going to happen again. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken. Do you understand how God is emphasizing those who are against Him are going to be destroyed? He just keeps saying it over and over. But the Lord upholds the righteous. Somebody say amen. amen. The Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish into smoke. They shall vanish away. Now, if you're not on God's side, and if you're going to play politics, I tell you, I tell you what's getting ready to happen. This politics is going to mean less and less to us. We're going to have to start choosing between what God says and what the world's doing. That has nothing to do with politics. We may make it do with politics, but what's right according to God and what's truth according to God is where the Christians got to be standing. And we need to forget all this politics stuff all the way around the world because it ain't going to stand either. Those are man-made systems. What we need to be doing is finding out where God's at and saying we're with Him. We're standing with God. And right now, that's a choice we got to make to stand with Israel. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by Him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by Him shall be cut off over and over. The steps of the good man are ordered by the Lord, and He delights in His, in his way. Though He fall, He shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds Him with His hand. What a wonderful word. What a wonderful word that the Lord's on our side to catch us. He said, I've been young, and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Here's a word to us. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and he does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off.
The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and, the, and his tongue talks of justice. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches, and the righteous seeks to slay him. And the Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord, and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. Now what God's going to do, according to Peter, is there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The Greek word there means renovated. God's going to come in and renovate the earth. It looks like He's going to put all the land back together, which will bring Jerusalem back into the center of the landmass if it's all put back together like original creation. No more sin, no more evil, no more iniquity. New heaven, new earth, cleansed by fire this time. And God's going to give that as an inheritance to those who follow Him and trust Him. He says, The wicked watch the righteous, they seek to slay Him. And the Lord's not going to condemn him. Wait on the Lord. He's going to exalt you in verse 34. He said, I've seen the wicked in verse 35 in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright. For the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. How many times does he have to say it? How many times does he have to say it? But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them. Right back to Psalm 2. Because they run to his shelter, that's why he saves them. Now, I, I, I'm going to say there's a great tribulation that's coming. It's called a time of Jacob's trouble. That's a seven-year period that Daniel talks about in chapter 9 and that Jesus mentions, Paul talks about, that that seven-year period is designed to return Israel back to God. They've been brought back to their land. Then at that, during that time, they're going to be brought back to God as a nation. But I want to say to you, even though we believe in the pre-trib rapture, that doesn't mean we're not going to see tribulation. We've seen some tribulation. And, and we're not going to be here for the great tribulation. That's called a time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time where the Gentiles are no longer the focus. The focus goes back to the nation of Israel. All that's been set up. All of it's being set up. The time of the Gentiles is what Jesus describes in Luke 21 where their time comes to a close. And he hinged that on when Jerusalem left the control of the Gentiles and went back under the control of the Jews. That's where we're at. We're living in that time. So, but we're going to see trouble. We've already seen a lot of trouble. Do you understand that there are countries in this world that have tried their best to set us up and they may have done a very good job. They may have done a very good job. Because before this over, what's going on in the Middle East and in Ukraine, there could be fronts to this war in several places. And our munitions and our oil is at, at very low deposits because we've been doing other things with it. We've, we may have been set up. There are countries that hate us because we stand for the Lord. Or we always have. 
there, this, we're going to see some tribulation. So don't, don't, don't think that we're not going to see. We've seen some tribulation. We're going to see some more. Now, the Lord's going to come and get us. We understand that. Before the time of Jacob's trouble. But there's trouble all over the world right now. And one of the reasons there's trouble all over the world because it's not only getting set up for God's plan to be fulfilled, but part of that plan is for this Antichrist to show up and calm the world down. That's why the world's going to look to him as a Messiah. The world's going to be rocking and reeling and shaking in so many different ways. And finally, there's going to be a man rise to the top whom the Bible calls the Antichrist. And the world's going to start looking to him. And even Israel's going to be enamored with him. And make a covenant with him. But that means that the world has to be in trouble. For them to say peace and safety. And then sudden destruction comes. I want you to understand something. I'm still teaching the whole counsel of God. In this church I teach on Wednesdays. I teach on Thursdays. And we have other Bible studies throughout the week. We're teaching them. But I am feeling this burden to get God's people ready to see their Messiah. I believe that I was called to be an end time preacher. And I've known that for years now. I am this terminal generation. I was born in 66. I believe that God raised me up and gave me the hunger for the things that I have. To know the Jewishness of our faith. And to understand prophecy and end time things. I believe I was designed for this season. So I am saying to you that our posture is probably going to change as individuals. We cannot be distracted and not understand what's going on in this world. There's so much demonic influence now going on even in our own country that there's a bigger war than what we're seeing across the pond in Ukraine and in the Middle East in Israel. There's a demonic warfare. And that's what you're seeing, the activity. Whatever is going against God is from Satan. He is the anti. That's why he's called the anti-Christ. The devil is working against God. So the people in this country that are not lining up with God's people in Israel... They're being influenced by Satan. That's who they're being influenced. Who is it that hates Israel? It's Satan. He always has hated God and his plan. He tried to stop, he tried to stop them every way he could. He hates whatever God's for. So the demonic, and I hope you can sense that, the demonic warfare has picked up and it's going around the globe. There's a place in Revelation, and I'm going to close this message, there's a place in Revelation during that tribulation period that it says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down among you, and he knows that he has but a short time. That's a verse out of Revelation. If he knows it then, you know he's picking on up, up on something now. Nobody has watched the fulfillment of God's plan any more than Satan. He's been around for the whole 6,000 plus years. He's watched everything God say come to pass. He knows it better than anybody. And he's not been able to stop God's plan. And I got news for him. If he's not already figured this out, 
He can't. Not the kings of the earth. They're going to take counsel together. There's another place in Revelation where it talks about how they think they're going to overthrow God. We've lost, not we, but somebody's lost their mind. This God is going to show up and the world is going to fear and trembling and quake. We don't have to have any of that fear because we know in whom we've believed. And here's the last thing I'll say to you. The Bible says when you see all this stuff happening, and we're seeing it. I read this, some of this to you last week. The waves roaring, the earthquakes, Israel back home, Jerusalem back under their control, famines, wars, and rumors of wars, ethnic group against ethnic group, kingdoms against kingdoms, Russia, China, all of it's in place. He said, you guys look up because your redemption is drawing near. Praise the Lord. Let's stand our feet. Here's something that's not happened to me since I've been in the ministry for 30 plus years, for closer to 40 years. I have had this said to me in the last two months more than any time in my ministry. More people have come up to me in the last two months telling me they've had dreams and visions of the return of the Lord. Not just in this church. Some people don't go to, that don't sit under me. Some people down in the satellite church, they're all having the same thing. And something else that I've heard more than I've ever heard in the history of ministry since I've been doing it is the burdens that people are coming up to me that they're having for their lost. We're running out of time. We need to share the gospel with as many people as we can. We're not responsible for the results. All we do is plant and water. It takes God to give the increase. But let's use, listen, this technology that, that the world stepped into has been used for so many horrible things. Let's turn that around. And let's use it. Send somebody a text, an email. Share the gospel with them. Write them a letter. I like to write letters. Whatever you can do, let's start sharing this gospel more than we ever have because the Lord's coming and we need as many people to be ready as we can reach. Amen? Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for your word and we just pray, God, that we would be comforted. The wicked, they're not going to last. They're going to be destroyed. You kept saying that over and over. But you said the righteous are going to be made glad. We're going to inherit the earth that even when famine's around, we won't be forsaken. Even when there's trouble and wars, you're going to take care of us. You've proved that over and over. Not a single person that's following you today is going to leave this life until you're through with them. So God, I want you to prepare us. Help us to get our mindset a little different. It's not business as usual anymore. We've stepped into some prophetic things that the world has been anticipating, the church world, and that you told us about that we shouldn't be caught off guard. And here we stand. Help us to get our priorities right. Help us to share the gospel. Help us to purify our own lives. You said, he that hath the hope of your return purifies himself. Help us to open up our lives for you to sanctify us further than, you, than we've ever been, that we would be more like you. Lord, I praise you and I give you glory and honor. Now, if you're here this morning, you're under the sound of my voice, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, how about today? Maybe you're watching us on our YouTube channel. You're in your home, 
wherever you're at. Jesus is the way. All you need to do is to ask Him to forgive you of your sins, to come into your heart, that you believe He's the Son of God, that He died for your sins, that He rose from the dead. You believe in who He is and that you want to give your life to Him today. Would you do that? Maybe you're here or you're listening and you're the prodigal and you need to come home. Maybe you're out there with the pigs and it's time for you to come home. Would you slip out of your seat before it's too late? Would you kneel in your living room or your kitchen, wherever you're at? Would you just ask Jesus to come into your heart? Would you make Him the Lord of your life? And if you're here and you're a believer and you're afraid, you're discouraged, come to this altar and give that fear to the Lord. Fear only causes harm. It don't do any good in your life. Get it out of your life. Be a believer. Have faith. Start praying more. Believe in His Word. Believe that He wants to do, give you the desires of your heart. And none of us have a greater desire than to see the people we love who are lost or the prodigals to come home. That is your desire, I know, this morning. Whatever your need is, as we worship Him for a few moments here, this altar is open. Will you come?